Welcome to Household 6. We are two seasoned Army spouses and virtual BFFs who want to encourage and empower you to leave your duty station better than you found it. We're your hosts, Marco and Kathleen, and we're so happy you're here. We have a really good episode for you today. We plan to continue to release episodes weekly throughout the holiday break. So if you're traveling or just have time off, we'll hopefully have a lot of content for you guys to listen to. Today, Kathleen and Mandy are going to be talking to the Fort Polk Garrison Colonel and Command Sergeant Major. They have a really good conversation. It's really informative and a powerful conversation. But there's also some humor in there, and I love that, that, you know, you're talking to the garrison commander. It's still just a casual conversation and down to earth and being an outsider listening in. That was really cool. I really liked that. So without further ado, here's their interview. So we're here, Mandy and I, with the Fort Polk Garrison Colonel and Command Sergeant Major. Would you guys mind introducing yourself for Sure. Us? Good afternoon. From one of the four Army Quality of Life installations throughout the United States, I'm Colonel Sam Smith, and I'm the Garrison Commander here at Fort Polk. And I've been here about 15 months. And briefly, what does the Garrison do? So if we had to summarize what we provide to our soldiers and our families and our community. It is about providing the senior commander, who's this commanding general here, General Gardner, readiness for all of our units that are on this installation. And that means making sure that they are prepared to deploy if our civilian policymakers decide they need to go to combat. So that is ranges, motor pools, they're building their facilities. So we build readiness. That's the number one thing that we have to do as a garrison. And we have to deploy that unit from here all the way to where they're going. So logistics to get them to and from, make sure they have their equipment, make sure they have all of their vehicles ready to go. All of that is part of building that readiness. That's one. Now, the second part of what the garrison does is we provide programs and services to our soldiers, our spouses, our families, our workforce, and our community. And that's very broad, but it could be MWR services, it's ACS, so it's Army Unit Community Service, it is healthcare, it is childcare, it is education, it is housing, it is roads, it is maintenance, it is gyms, it is commissary, it is the PX. So that is all programs and services. And we're supposed to provide that program and service at a certain level that the Army funds us at, which is called a common level of service, CLS. However, at Fort Polk, because we're a quality of life installation, we go above CLS, but we're only resource for CLS. So there's a lot of tentacles to that as well. But that's what we do in broad terms as a garrison. Yeah, I think the way I've been explaining it to people is just like, Everything on posts that affects your daily life. That's what they do up there. Mm-hmm. I introduced him to my mom and I said, he does all the army stuff that's not war. And he was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So now I understand more of the the scope. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I'm right. Good afternoon. My name is Command Sergeant Major Stephen Nielsen. As the Garrison Sergeant Major, I help provide advice and guidance to the commander from an enlisted perspective. So that's what I do. What he has is that big list of what he just gave you. <laughs> I think that so is huge here because this is one of the biggest populations and maybe just in my perspective of enlisted families here. And so I think that they have majority of a perspective here that seems to need to meet quality of life. So we have, and that's why I think it's really important because there's a lot of what, how many people are at Fort Polk is a small place. And so we get drowned out by the Fort Hoods, Fort Braggs, the Fort Campbells, and how does it really army invest in some small community out in Louisiana? I mean, that's kind of the kind of 
perception a lot of folks mm-hmm. have before they come here. But we really have 8,000 soldiers, 8,000 soldiers here on Fort Polk, 12,000 families, and then all in, so it's about 20,000, just soldiers and families on Fort Polk. Then you add the civilian workforce, and so that's about another 12,000. Then you add TDY, transit, people who come to visit, and so it's about 34,000 who come, who live, work, or train on Fort Polk at large, 34,000. Where the surrounding towns, what does Leesville have, like 7,000 people? Yes, <laughs> yes. And so so not even counting our retirees, which we are responsible, who leverage our insulation for you know the hospital, for the commissary, for the PX, all the benefits. And that's about 30, another 35,000. So if you look at daily, about 34,000, and then we still have to reach out and extend our relationships and build and make sure that our retirees know that they can come here. And that's about 34,000 in and around Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, where their closest army installation to, to some of those. So we, we are supposedly known, and a lot of our community, they adopted this phrase, and it was, they want us to be the best small town in the United States. And there's a lot of truth to that because you come here, you may not like the weather, you may not like the humidity, you may not like the how it's hot, you may not like to come here and train out in the box. But when you come here, I heard, you know, when I was here four years ago, you and I heard your podcast before, you know, a lot of testimonials were, you know, you come here, you cry. And and then when you leave, you cry. And so I think that is beautiful because that's emotion. I'm just happy you're crying, right? <laughs> and I'm happy you're here versus I didn't come here. And so we, we are, we're trying to change the narrative across the Army on what really is JRT in Fort Polk. What do we do? What are we for? And there are challenges here. Yes, there are challenges here. We don't have big malls. We don't have big shopping centers. You know, we don't have a lot of the things that you can get in big cities. We don't have the quantity of certain job for employment. But what we do offer is... So our major and I and the CG and the post, so our major, we're going to know your name, mm-hmm. right? We're going to know when we have some something that happens inside housing, something that happens into a child development center or something that happens in a commissary, we're going to know that name. When you're at a big installation, mm, that's that's very hard for a command sergeant major or a colonel or a commanding general to know the eaches of everything. So we, that, there's a lot that comes with that because we're going to surge resources. Now, our goal is to try to be on the left side of that, prevent versus react. And, you know, that's the treatment side, but we want to be more prevention side. That's We've talked a lot about that, how the size of Fort Polk affords a lot of opportunities that we haven't had elsewhere to get to know people. The leadership here, you guys also, it's not just because it's small, you guys make a really conscious effort to be places and have your face there and your name there so people know that they can... I. I've personally seen people walk up to you guys and give, you know, minor complaints about the gym or the childcare or something, and you always welcome those conversations, which I really appreciate. What is the most common question you get from the people who come walking up to you? I'll let Commander Sarmento take the first time with that one. Yeah, I'd say one of the biggest concerns that people have here is it's a misperception is the education. Yes. So when they go online, they, they look and they see just like I did, you know, oh, 48 in the nation. That's that's pretty bad. But then when you get here and you look at the statistics, it paints a different picture, which is we're number three and number five in math and reading, and number four preparing our high school seniors for college. Now that's within the DOD, but that's not 
too bad. That's pretty good. And it again, it's a little small community, so people rely on each other. They get to know each other. They get to help each other out. So I would say that's one of the big concerns that people have when they come here. Definitely. I feel like most of the families I knew didn't come with their service member. It was because of education and perceived lack of opportunity. I even had the comment coming here. I said, oh, thank goodness our kids are still in elementary because it was something that I even heard, not even in that age group yet. You know, we cried coming here. We tried to fight it. We tried not to come here everything we could. And here we are. And I think that it was the best opportunity for everybody. And I think that for everybody's mental health at some point in their life, it's very important to take that fast pace of life, especially in the military, and slow it down and kind of really reevaluate what's important and how you're going to navigate your family and this workforce. And so I have that as my plug as Fort Polk. And that's not to mention that you and, you know, the CG and the CG prior haven't been a huge part of that as a team making it that small town feel. And so I think that everybody on Fort Polk really appreciates that. And this is what Sergeant Major and I talk about when we have the opportunity to talk to new soldiers at Family Welcome where we have spouses is there are certain things that we in the Army can change and there are certain things that we cannot, and even in life. And so our environment is one of those things, meaning I can't change the soil that's in the ground <laughs> in Louisiana. I can't change the seasons that happen with the weather. I can't change that we're on in the Gulf and we're going to have weather challenges, tornadoes, hurricanes, not on wood. Yeah, I can't change. We can't change that. But a lot of a lot of our families and our communities, that's what they don't like about it. So I go back and we remind them. In 1941, during the Louisiana maneuvers, our generals, we were preparing to go over to Europe to face, at the time, the USSR. They were trying to lo find a location where we could take brigade combat teams in the Army and train them here before they went to Europe to realize how much gas you need, how much maintenance do you need, what do you need to work on with you know, firing your cannons. or And so 1941, they decided, Louisiana Maneuvers, the largest military operation during that time, was from Alexandria all, all, all the way to here. That land that we bought from our families who lived here before is still used today due to that same thing. Mm -hmm. So we can't change that. They made that decision in 1941. So as long as the Army says, we want to use JRC and Fort Polk to train our Army Infantry Brigade combat teams to be certified to go to combat, as long as we have that mission, we're going to stay here. Now, when the Army decides we no longer need that and our threats are different, then maybe it'll go a different location. But as long as that's the decision, now Sergeant Major and our whole leadership team from commanders in every unit, our goal is to make sure how do we make the most, the best of this environment we can't change, being Louisiana. So we have air conditioners in our house, right? <laughs> you go off to the West Coast, they don't have that environmental challenges. We have moisture, we have mildew, we have concerns that if you don't address mildew, it turns into mold in our barracks, in our housing. We have challenges with road, with some of our schools. And so all of that to say, we have great opportunity. And the Army made a great decision a couple years ago to say, hey, Fort Polk was competing against the big installations for resourcing and money and prioritization. And so they said, hey, we need to give some of these rural 
remote areas a fighting chance when it comes to competing for prioritization for you know finances and building and construction and housing. So that's why we became a quality of life installation. One of four. There's four in the army. We're one. You know, you got Alaska, Fort Hood, and then Fort Irwin, the National Training Center. So we're one of four, and we get elevated and additional resources that some others don't. Now, some of our other installations who have the AITs where people go to basic training, the Fort Jacksons, you know, the Fort, Fort Bennings, Sam. and you know, Fort Sam. They have a larger number, so that's revenue, that's money they put back in the installation. But that those installations don't get to keep all of that. Because if they did, all the big would just stay big. So this is the, the way the Army is saying, hey, we're trying to make sure we level the playing field and families and soldiers at their smaller locations need quality of life as well. So it's one aspect. On a quick note and question, how do you think the fight for talent is going to change the perspective of Fort mm-hmm. Polk? So, you know, in full transparency, we do a phenomenal job with our team across this installation in our community at the local level telling our story. We do an okay job at the regional level. We have a long way to go at the national level. And so that's what Command Sergeant Major's point earlier was about. When you're here locally, you're, you're like, wow, I had no idea. Regionally, we're like, okay, regionally, but nationally, if you're at you know, Fort Leonardwood. You have no idea what's here because we don't tell our national story. Because so, now that my child is in the school, I'm like, wow, she learned to read like that yes. and because she's in a great class. So yeah. whenever I tell people, yeah, we're at Fort Polk with JRTC, like Tigerland, like the movie, like Tigerland. <laughs> when is there going to be an updated movie of Fort Polk now <laughs> versus the movie of Tigerland? Oh, wow. That's a great, that's, you know, in To hit the national level. Like See, that's not is, in black and white. That's in color. Yeah. Like I feel like all the story about Fort Polk is still told in black and white mm. from everybody but us we're telling it in color but at such a local level yes and so what we're trying to do to get after that is you know the general gardeners running the fiber talent and every cg before him is trying to get after changing the narrative and we're doing it one installation at a time with these trips that are going out there to try to you know inform you know our families across all the army installations but it's it's you know command sergeant major used to be a drill sergeant everybody has this you know you're going to fort polk i mean when i was here three years ago i had the same you know thought is i was here you know i was at fort lewis and i was coming here and i'm like hmm louisiana and then i'm doing my own research like everybody does i'm looking online i'm talking to people and i get everybody's rumors everybody's rumors or they win the box in rotation and they're getting you know, annihilated by Geronimo, the enemy, which they're supposed to, and they just associate the box to Fort Polk. They don't know. Dunkin' Donuts, you know, Texas Roadhouse has come in. $5.8 million in IHG. We're, get, we're redoing Toledo Bend cabins um, at our rec center. We're doing, you know, bowling center that was reno- renovated. You know, we're trying, we're trying to get after some of these things, but you don't hear that. And so we are trying to partner with our public affairs at, you know, the army level to try to change this story. But it is a long process. So what what we're, also there's no one-stop shop where you or anybody who's coming here can say, where can I go to learn about it? What do you do? You go on all the spouses pages and you, you figure out who's saying what. That's why I'm like, how do we connect? How do we get inserted into that process to be like, hey, I want to just arm you with information. Now, what you do with it is up to you, but I don't want you to stay at your previous duty location. Mm-hmm. We want you to come here mm-hmm. with your, you know, with your dependent. I had always mentioned too, like when when they're out for fight for talent and when they're changing that narrative, are they 
are they inviting spouses to sit with their husbands? Mm -hmm. Are the spouses hearing the difference? Are the spouses hearing about the education opportunities for themselves with the technical college right off the base? Mm -hmm. Are they hearing about different job opportunities to be a big fish in a little pond? Are they, are, what, what are they hearing? Because if my husband sat through that and he went in and said, I think there's a great job opportunity to me at Fort Polk, I'd say, yeah, no. Because I didn't hear the same conversation he heard. Right. And then he'd be like, well, my wife doesn't want to go, so we're going to try to get out of it. And so I feel like even still there's a disconnect between what communication is going through that telephone line of spouses. So we're trying to figure out how do we how do we get into that cycle. And so we tried to pilot where we had the winning, winning the fight for talent, go there in person. And then we did a spouse forum, virtual. And we offered all these spouses any questions to come up on, I think we had Teams or Zoom, and we had all of the stakeholders at the table, you know, spouse employment, ACS, hospital, housing, everybody, and it tanked. Mm -hmm. We had no spouses. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're trying to think, okay, how do we, how do we, what is that form? What is that mechanism? How do I grab the spouse's attention? You create a fear of missing out. Nobody had a fear of missing out of going to that forum. Nobody said, I really wish I was that fly on that wall. Mm. I really wish I had that invite to be there. So Jason Drillo's concert was ginormous, yeah. right? Because they had a fear of missing out of what he was going to do on stage. Yeah. But that's never created here. And I talked to Colonel Reagan about this in terms of behavioral health and all the events that they throw. I'm like, but I'm not going to go because I don't have a fear of missing out. You're not drawing me in by bringing some influencer, some something mm -hmm. to get me to want to be there, to sit, to actually hear the information that we need. I mean, we don't need to listen to talk dirty to me, but it's that one thing that comes in to get you to listen For to the, the record, actual that's <laughs> It's the only song I should have said savage love, yes. but there's that one thing that... Like, what can you get people to come and want to be there to actually hear the information mm. without telling them this is the information you're actually going to hear? Yeah, so we, we don't, we, we want to try to change the perception where we're talking to people and we're talking with. Because mm -hmm. then that draws you in, is, to your point, is what's in it? Why, what is, how's it going to benefit me? And so we are open to ideas on how we crack this code because we have, we keep doing the same thing. I think we could talk, say a lot about this, but yeah. I, I want to go to some broader topics. You have been Colonel Smith at Fort Polk before. You already knew what you were getting into. Have you been here before? This is the first time I've been to Fort Polk in 28 years. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> Was 28 years ago in the box? No, I've, I've never been here. Oh, okay. So Are you only box, 28? <laughs> I, I, I wish. Thank you. No, the only experience I ever had was pretty much what everybody else does. It's word of mouth. Yeah. And so I had a roommate in Korea back in 1999 that, you know, he, Mr. Positive, always happy, couldn't knock a smile off his face. I told him, I'm, I'm going to Fort Polk. And it's like the blood drained out of his face. He's like, you don't want to go there. So it's it's that misperception of things. And of course, the box, it's always the box. And, and which is kind of funny, because if you talk to people about you know their time in Germany, even if they were at Hohensfeld, and Hohensfeld is relatively small little installation, you don't hear people complaining about it. But you still have to drive and go do things. If you want to go visit Italy, you have to either you can fly and take a train or drive, but you still have to travel to get to somewhere else. It's really no different here. If you're a big city person, you you, you still have to drive. You're still going to have to go and, and find things to do. And there's plenty to do. You know, within four hours, you can be in New Orleans, Houston, whatever the case may be. We personally saved a lot of money being here, and that's always a perk. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
and that's, that's the thing. It's mm-hmm. you, you have to look at the positive. Mm-hmm. You know, Colonel said to talk about our roads. Yeah, the roads aren't that great, but you know, we don't have this a lot of traffic. Mm-hmm. So when you go to a place, even Lafayette, uh, went there, it's like, wow, look at all this traffic. And the route is, it really wasn't a lot of traffic, but compared to here, there's not a lot of traffic. It's just perspective. It's almost like people have to say, because it's been gone for so long, that Fort Polk is a bad place to be. It's, it's the it's, catchy it's, phrase. Right. And if you say otherwise, then, you know, people look at you like, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Which is unfortunate. So. Yeah, one of the questions you, you asked earlier is, what's one of the most common questions? And I, I just think I, being where Sergeant Major and I are at, at the garrison level, and having the, the broad perspective and the responsibility to manage the installation on behalf of you know, the senior commander, it is a privilege, right, that we have because we are not brigade unit commanders. You know, I'm not a 310 brigade commander, but we manage the housing that every single soldier here lives in with their family. We take that responsibility very seriously and the child care. So our, you know, our child care centers where our children. And so these are not soldiers of ours, but they are essentially. So the one, one of the most common questions I think and, you know, that we get is, it's not really a question. It always starts with, why can't we? Mm. You know, I want, you know, this. Change that gate. Extend those hours. Give me. Which is okay because that's feedback, right? And, you know, feedback's a gift no matter whether you like it or not. And there's uh, that will take, will take all the time. And some of it is trying to explain why we can't or why we don't do certain things like that or... That would be probably very smart to have or to change this gate or increase those hours or to get you this certain thing because someone else would be affected by it. And so it's it's trying to make sure that we connect with our families, let them know that there is, there is you know, 12,000 families here, 8,000 soldiers. So if we, once we do something, it affects that, the 20,000 people. So we gotta make sure everything that we do we try to minimize the turbulence and risk for even though we know that we're not going to be able to meet the expectations or the desires of some. And we would like to. We just can't. So one of the most common questions is trying to walk and have dialogue with our community about the why and what we're doing or why we can't. Because once we find, once we explain that, then there's buy-in. And then people understand it. So that's the hardest thing, I think, in our jobs, specifically on my side, is communication. It kicks my tail. And I, we talked about with the spouses last night, and we mentioned, too, like, you know, what we hope you get out of this is something that you feel like you can express and something that he's expressed that you can bring back to your neighborhood that is maybe in that miscommunication, in, in that buy-in, and they can understand that why. So then that narrative changes on that neighborhood end. And we think that's very important because there is – five steps up that there is some sort of miscommunication going mm-hmm. at Fort Polk. Yep. And so, I mean, so a major is helping the garrison live by, you know, two principles, you know, last year when I took over, we wanted to live by listening, which is a major line of effort that we have in the garrison is to listen and then to be inclusive. And so listening means if, if we demonstrate that we value everybody and everybody has their perspective, it doesn't mean I agree or will agree, but if you listen, then a person, whomever you are, says, at least I had a voice. At least I had a voice. And so that's why listening is important. But listening takes time and patience. And those are two things that I'm not great at, <laughs> which I'm working on. And so I made yourself and me because I'm not patient and I don't have a lot of time. But 
it is so important that we listen. And then being inclusive, and that is getting feedback from people, whether you're a private first class or a specialist or a sergeant or you're a spouse of one of those who sometimes feel marginalized because they're not part of this group or that group or they don't have a leadership or a battalion level, but including everybody in the discussion because we solve problems when we're not all drinking the same Kool-Aid. When somebody comes out from the beaten path and says, hey, you thought about this, you're like, wow, because I include you at the table. Now that's going to be the decision is so much better because of it. Or when Sergeant Major was telling you in the beginning, he tries what well, he doesn't, he does. And I have to take this pill sometimes where he says, hey, sir, that's not smart. Um, mm -mm. I know you want to do this, but here's, here's the, and that's what a great command Sergeant Major does is try to make you understand that, hey, you're about to do this and you don't want to do that. Got to have somebody who will challenge you. Yes, yeah. that's how we stay humble. So we're talking a lot about installation-wide stuff. On a personal note, so I know your wife, Sarah. She's lovely. Do you guys still have kids at home? We do. Okay. And so are they in schools here? So my wife recently moved up to Tennessee because okay. I'm getting ready to retire here within another couple of years. So she kind of went up there to pave the way, found a job with the Corps Engineers, took the boys with her, so... But yes, I did have my youngest boy. He went to Faith Academy, which after going and watching the football game between DeRitter and Leesville, I told him, I said, you really missed out. <laughs> so got Leesville. But it was, you know, a good small school for the most part. We were pretty happy with the quality of education he was receiving. How, I know it's always a really hard decision to separate your family. What was your thought process? How, how did you weigh that and decide that that would be the best choice? For me, it was... So the opportunity for her to advance in her career, mm -hmm. have upward mobility, and knowing that my time's coming to where I have to hang up, it was more of a forecast looking at the future to say, this would be better for the family in the long run because when I retire, the job she was currently doing, was her time with that was, was expiring. So that takes a lot of stress off the family in the future, knowing that she's got a job, it's upward mobility, and I don't have to feel like when I retire, like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I mean, I still have to get something. I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to be on right. the couch potato. <laughs> the best thing that I hear from that is that at the end of the day, you cared about your wife's mental health and your future beyond what you wear every day. And you and took that into a perspective that was phenomenal. And you looked forward to your future with your family. So I appreciate that because I know that I noticed a lot of mental health kind of kind of um, downhill spirals when people seem to get to Fort Polk. And I can say that as who manages some employees here on the base that we've kind of gone through a process of mental health. What would both or either one of you want to answer this say about the mental health struggle here at Fort Polk? I think that what we first have to acknowledge is that it's okay not being okay. I think we have this culture where we always have to be put together and perfect and, you know, I can't be vulnerable and I have to have my stuff together and I can't, I got to have dinner ready or make sure the kids do this and I have to be great at my job and smile all the time. Everybody has challenges and it's okay. I think the hardest part is having a climate and a culture where we can talk about that. And so we, we only have a limited amount of mental health resources physically, but there is so much of the Army the Department of Defense has invested in, whether you want to use military one source, you want to call the state number, you want to make an appointment. So what I would say is that I think it's really important to, to first, let's not beat each other up, but 
am a mess or I need I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait until this is done and I'm gonna tip of the iceberg and I can't take it anymore talk to somebody and that's that's why listening is so important and making people feel that they're included and they matter and their value because if we know each other then we can pick up on those things hey you're you know this is not normal you know we see somebody or I see you you know downstairs or I see you walk in the installation I'm like hey something's off about you we, you normally are bubbly and you're engaging and talking now you're in the corner what's going on so I think making being approachable like being approachable and having converse, tough conversations, but letting everybody know that it's okay not being okay. And if you need help, it's fine. And there's not going to be any retaliation or stigma that, oh, you can't hang or you're soft or, oh, your wife or your spouse or your husband, you know, they don't know how to take care of themselves. You know, that is something that I think was like 10 years ago and there's still some of that now, but being able to have, be comfortable in our environments and in our networks to, to talk to one another. And I hear you saying that it's just prioritizing authenticity, mm. right? Because where we're saying all these great things about Fort Polk, I almost punched a woman in the face before we moved here because she kept telling me, it's what you make of it. You're going to make your best friends there. And I was like, I'm still upset about moving. So, you know. Did she have an Irish accent when she said it? <laughs> okay. Is that how it came out? Yeah. And let's be clear. October is domestic violence awareness. Yeah. Okay? So it's also not okay. Yes. Well, she got to go to Europe, so she's not domestic anymore. But, yeah, talking about authenticity. And I... Was bringing up where your spouses are because I appreciate that you both are really pro Fort Polk. You're doing a lot for our community. You appreciate the good things about it, but both of your partners are not here because of career stuff. And you've both acknowledged that that was the best choice for you guys right now. And so we're not all going to sit here and say, like, it's always the best thing for your family to stay together. It's always going to be perfect for everybody at every installation. The schools are always going to be a great fit for kids. What a great point. And I think that's a good, that's a good perspective. So my partner and I made this decision when I came here because one of us were going to have to choose a career at the time. He could have came here to follow me because talking from a green suitor, military perspective, I'm like, it's easier for you, yeah. right? <laughs> it's easier for you to follow me and we can manage our careers. But then when we started looking in the details of his career, his career is about to take off, mine's doing okay, and then he could have came here, but he had to take a demotion. And so we could have made it work. And my love language is touch and acts of kindness, and it's hard to get those things when you're separated. And so, but I was committed to making it work because what I didn't want to do is for my partner to have any resentment. And I knew, even though it was going to be very challenging, and it also affects you know the team here is because what do I go home to? I go home to an empty house. And so what do I do? I work more. And if I work more, other people are going to work more because I'm going to start sending notes and taskings and doing this and expect this. And so it's a second, third effect. So I wanted Hurting to come with me because he was going to help me with balance. He was going to help me be with balance. But when he's, when he's here, so our, our agreement was once a month. How we're going to make a relationship work was we committed to him visiting here once a month and we're going to balance both our careers. And so far it's been the case. He's come here 15 times once every month. And I, I just heard a confession. Oh. 
what's the conversion? Conversion is, is, you know, because you go to a home and you're alone, mm-hmm. you work more, which means everyone else has to work more. That's true. That sounds like a confession. <laughs> that, that's authenticity. Sounds like yeah. you're apologizing to your team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah so when Harney comes here, you can tell him, hey, if you were here more, yeah. we wouldn't suffer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I talked to so many spouses, though, who end up really miserable because they do feel like all the family's energy has to go towards that military career. Mm. And you guys who have been in 25, almost 30 years, I hear you guys prioritizing what your family needs, not the Army. And a friend of mine had said, I realize that the Army will take whatever you give it, and if you're not careful, you'll come out at the end with nothing left mm-hmm. for each other in your family. And, and not to put any, you know, any pointers at the Army because it does great things and it serves a purpose. That is anything in life. Right. Anything right. in life is going to take what you let it. And you have to have those boundaries and that balance. But I don't think every job ha- comes with the expectations of so much family. I think that's a personality sacrifice. trait. Because if there was a janitor with the same mindset of Colonel Smith, I think he'd be having his team work until midnight to clean the floor. <laughs> Wait, for the record, I've not forced anybody to work till midnight. Okay? Um, for the record, we get off at eleven thirty. Yeah, that's right. Twenty minutes. Yeah. That's why I think our our military families are so special and unique. And it's only one percent of our population who can relate to it. Because our families sacrifice so much. And so I used to say to spouses, thanks for your sacrifice, right? And then I, I listened to this podcast and listened to some feedback that I'm hearing. And they said, hey, have you ever thanked a spouse and said thanks for your service? I was like, yeah, I have. They're like, well, have you ever thought about that's kind of condescending? And I said, no. And then I, I heard this and I'm like, wow. So now I say thanks for your commitment. Because it is a choice. You're committed to that because it's 1% of our population who can relate to it throughout our army, but it's you're committing as well when you make this sacrifice. Because when your you know, husband, wife, raise the right hand and take that oath, what, what they don't understand is maybe what they're getting into. But at some point, you know, you are married to both, right? Legally, you are married to you know, your spouse or partner, but also legally, you signed a contract and you know, raised the right hand. And so... That is committing. You're committing to that. So that's why we say thanks for your commitment because it's a lot of, you know, us in uniform would not be as successful without the commitment from our families. And so it requires a lot. And it's something that the Army and the nation, you know, deserves to make sure that we continue to provide for our families because of it. Because once we lose the support of our families, our Army is not going to be as great as it is. That's why... It's so important to figure out how do we connect? How do we get feedback? How do we listen? How do we make sure that are we giving the families what they need? Are we, you know, working them too much? Are we, you know, because we have less op tempo, at least combat for now, knock on wood, but we still have to be prepared because our threats aren't going away. But you, we know that you have a huge influence. Our families have a huge, huge influence whether our servicemen or women stay or go. Huge. Soldier readiness starts with family readiness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you want the listeners to know about anything in general? So what, what I think is important for everybody to understand is every installation you go to has challenges, but it also has opportunities. And so being here in, you know, West Central Louisiana, there are a lot of opportunities. And so whether you like to fish, hunt, we have markets, you know, 
it's so there are a lot of like New Orleans. You can still do culture, Lafayette. You know, Hernan and I went to Lafayette a couple of weeks ago, and he was in heaven because he speaks French and he's meeting French natives. And I'm like, you're boring, but <laughs> yeah. babe, I'm sorry if you're listening to this. But he was great, and I was good to see him smile. And so it was. We went on a Sunday before he left on Monday, and we tried to fit it in. But there are opportunities, and you know, I am an optimist, and I'm a half, you know, glass full kind of individual. And other people around me are realists, and we need both. We need introverts, extroverts, realists, you know, optimists. We need all of that. But I think the last thing I'll just say is we can accomplish a lot together. We can't accomplish a lot when we're not together. So we don't have to like each other. We don't have to agree with one another. But we have to be courteous and listen to one another and we can accomplish a lot. It's when we dig in our heels or when we talk about other people or bring people down, we can accomplish a lot if we're together. That's, that's pretty well said, sir. From my perspective, when it comes to really the family unit, it's really, I, I, it's usually the person that's not serving that has is the one that has to sacrifice. So for example, my since my spouse, my wife, well, throughout my military career, she's had to sacrifice jobs and opportunities to follow me where I go, which is pretty significant. And that's where a lot of talking, listening, compromising, compromising where you can is so important because that's where a lot of people fail to achieve and to do that. This is the first time that my wife and I, except for deployments, have actually been separated. Everywhere I've gone, she's followed. Of course, mine is Korea, but so a lot of it is, is just communicating and having a commitment to one another and realizing that life isn't always just, you know, peaches and cream. Sometimes you get dealt a hand that might not be the one you want, but you go in, you, you make do with what you have and you stick it out. And eventually that's one of the beauties about the army is you're going to move on. Something's going to change and usually for, for the better, or you might find a hidden blessing on where you are. You just have to be open and observant from what i take from what both of you said and i hope the listeners do as well is that they you both are very successful in your career and you both have families and you have managed to navigate the balance of being successful and having a successful family so i hope that you know this encouraged the listeners to go out and seek other ones around them to just figure out the trick what have they done how do they balance it when do they give and when do they take i appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to both of you and you to so your listeners who are out there. And I I will put this out there. Is any questions, any spouse, any soldier, anybody, like reach out. We, you know, it's always nice to have an outside perspective on certain things. So whether it's a mentor, like second year or third year, whatever you need, if you're enlisted, you know, so a major can relate to you and so can I, but he's lived your shoes. If you're on the officer side, if you're a spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend, I, you know, I'm open. and you know, get with either one of you and we will, you know, address any concern or feedback that your listeners have. Because I think people being informed is very important. Knowledge is power. We so hope you enjoyed today's episode. Next week, Kathleen and I will do a little debrief and talk about our thoughts. Until then, you can find us at household6podcast.com, on Instagram at household6podcast, and you can join our Facebook group, Small Army, the Household 6 Podcast community. As always, we'll leave you with this. Leave your duty station better than you found it. Household 6 signing off.